Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to get right into James chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1. A tough spot that we left, of course, last Thursday as concerning James chapter number 4, verse number 17, dealing with for those who know what is right to do and fail to do it. To them, it is sin. When we dive into James chapter number 5, uh, for the whole conversation of James 4, dealing with a person getting their heart in the proper place of repentance before God, that, that he continues his path of, of dealing with those who are rich or, or those who are not content with such things that they have but are always wanting more and with that passion and desire that they would murder, that they would steal, that they would that they would do what was necessary in order to accomplish what they they want like he dis, like he discussed in James 4 at the very beginning when he said where do wars and fights begin among you he said it's those things that you lust after that you desire to have but can't have them so you'll do whatever it takes to get them and all you had to do was ask now, the reason why some things are not given unto us when we do ask is because God knows that the reason why we want it is to be able to satisfy or encourage some ungodliness or wickedness that may be within us and we're chasing after a passion rather than chasing after God. And so he's, he continues that line of, of dealing here at the beginning of James chapter 5. So before diving into this, let us turn to the Lord, asking for his blessing upon us in prayer and thanking him for a beautiful weekend. We were able to celebrate the sacrifice of those who had laid down their lives so that others could live. Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God that you have given, that you were willing to lay your own son's life down for us, that we may have life eternal and be reunited with you the hope that we have in in the throne room of god now because of what jesus did so thank you lord thank you for that blessing and thank you father for for the multitude of of men and women of our country that were willing to put their lives on the line some made it home many didn't and lord they were willing to give up that which was most precious so that others may live. We pray that we will remember these, these things, this truth, and ask that you will bless us as we come together in the Word of God, that, that we would be able to receive by the Spirit those things which you have for us to feast upon, and we may rejoice in the presence of Jesus today here at the corner. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. <laughs> oh, James just has no mercy here. <laughs> I mean... And rightfully so, for no mercy should be granted such a wicked lot as as these uh, rich people that he's dealing with here because it's not, he's not talking about those people who utilize their wealth for the purpose of benefiting uh, the church, benefiting the, the community around them that that literally love people and, and want to help them succeed. This isn't the rich that he's dealing with. There's plenty of wealthy people that are in the world today that that are being an absolute blessing to their communities, a blessing to their states, a blessing to the church without question, uh, a multitude of missions work that is made possible through the funds of many a, a wealthy person who wants to see the work of the Lord uh, go forth uh, without question. I've personally been sent on on missions trips by those who were wealthy and were able to to extend some of the blessings of their wealth to be able to fund the, the trips that I've been able to go on and and through their financing the the trips that I've gone on uh, multitudes of pastors have been re- received a teaching on on the word of God and and many lives have been impacted by the gospel for for being able to go so he's not dealing with the multitude of wealthy people he's dealing with the rich now I'm going to make a distinction here between those who are rich in those who are wealthy. The distinction that I'm going to make here is the fact that those who are rich is, is this word, this word rich is one of my favorite words also in Spanish is rica. And, and this, this concept of rich is, is, is a self-indulging concept. When you're eating a, a, a piece of pie or you're eating something that is really sweet and, and that, that just it's worth the calories kind of a dessert that you're eating and 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 you're within a, a Hispanic group and they ask you how it tastes and you say uh, esta que rica you're saying that this is like awesome it's fantastic because it's an indulgence of of your desire it's an indulgence of your taste buds it's exploding in your mouth and so it's really 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 good and, and so you, you've got this situation happening where uh, the, the rich that he's talking about are those people who are indulgent upon their wealth, that they, they are self-gratifying and, and self-focused. And so this is the group that he's dealing with. Because there's plenty of wealthy people that are out there who, who see their wealth as, as a blessing from God and, and they utilize their wealth as a blessing from God to others. And, and indeed, they're going to take care of themselves, which is expected for anyone, but they're also taking care of their brother because they understand that the scripture says to love your neighbor and the scripture says to 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 be a blessing especially to those of the household of the faith so 
we're not dealing with people that are wealthy. We're dealing with people that are rich, that that are so impassioned by their their wealth that that they have alienated their brother, that they have that they would cheat their laborers or their their workers, that they would they would seek to try and keep back as much of their their wealth as possible for themselves to be consumed upon their own lust. A prime example of what I'm talking about would, would come to pass in Acts chapter number 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. So they, they make a pledge to sell a parcel of land and for the proceeds that they would sell it for, that they would give it to the church. Now, when they sold the land, they actually sold it for more than what they'd originally valued it as being and so they kept back the the amount that was over what they had promised so they kept that back and then they gave the amount that they assumed the land would be worth of course now because they pledged the land the sale of the land the proceeds to the church God blessed the sale of that land as being more than what they had originally valued it for and that blessing of God to them and the increase that they had above what they thought it would be was meant for the purpose of giving to the church so that they could be an extra blessing because it's not like they needed any of the funds for that to be able to keep them, sustain them. They were wealthy people. But they saw the excess that they had made above and beyond what they had valued that, which they had told the church. So they kept that excess back, and that's what got them uh, literally nailed by God. As as you remember Ananias coming into the the uh, church, and they're standing before Peter, and, and Peter telling him that you didn't just lie to me, you lied to the Holy Ghost. And of course... Um, I hate to break the news to you guys, but the Holy Spirit actually, as as you, if you if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So the things that you're thinking right now are being heard by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit has a direct line of communication unto the Father in heaven. And so, if you were thinking to yourself, well. I'm going to hold this amount back. In other words, in your heart, let's start at the beginning. In your heart, you pledge the Lord, I'm going to give the Lord $100. And then you get this you get this $100. And you say, well, but, you know, I could use a meal. I'm going to put 80 in this time, and I'm going to keep 20 back. Oh, stop. The Holy Spirit knows. God knows. Okay? You, you just defrauded God. And granted, $100 compared to $1,000, $100 is not, not a wealthy person by any means. But if you look at it a different way, a person who doesn't make but $10 when they receive $100 has received a great deal of wealth indeed, haven't they? So when we consider wealthy people, we have to consider that that, that concept of being wealthy, it is variable, depending on the person, a child who has no money at all but relies solely upon the blessings of provision that would be made to them as they would be given a $50 bill at Christmas or they would they would do some chores around the house and be blessed with an amount of money, they would find themselves as becoming 
wealthy because they originally had nothing, and now they have such an abundance of blessing from nothing. So what happens when we become rich? Well, even at that gift of $50, even at that gift of $100, or even $1,000, we would find that, that we become rich when we begin to plot and plan with all passion and desire of all the things that we could consume upon our own lust, then we begin to discover a distance between a wealth that we have received from being rich with desire. And so it's this rich with desire that James is hammering on, and, and rightfully so, for we ought to be a people surrendered unto the Lord to where it's not about those things which we can consume upon our own lust, but about the ways of which we could be a blessing to our Savior and to His kingdom and how best to benefit that kingdom by those things that we have. Understanding that all the things that we possess are those things blessed to us from our Lord. It's hard to think about that, isn't it? Because it's, it's the very challenge against everything that we've ever really understood, isn't it? It's it, it's, this is mine, so I should, I should be able to do with it what I please. But when you come to an understanding of the scriptural authority of God over his children, the power of God and the presence of God, you discover that it's really not yours. <laughs> it's, it's that which has been blessed to you by God for the purpose, and it has a purpose. And that purpose is to be used as it has been bestowed upon you for the purpose of blessing his kingdom, rather by outreach or rather by by being able to get a car or being able to uh, move up in a position that works. So you have more influence to be able to, to work on the lives of the people that you have at work or this or that or the other. Whatever the blessing is, everything that happens to a child of God, everything Every gift that is given, every increase of pay that, that exists, everything that ever happens to a child of God ought always to be considered a blessing from the Lord and ought always to be thought about as to how this blessing may be used for his kingdom's glory. Because the whole purpose to the child of God is to glorify the Father. Something to think about. He says, come now, you rich. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> that's, that's probably the only thing that I could think of that, that's coming out of this current president that, that is worth <laughs> anything at all. Uh, no offense to those who, who are connected to that particular party or for whatever reason like the man, but that's all I got for him <laughs> is that come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You know, the reason why you'll find a lot of rich people as being miserable is because they're lonely. And you would think that rich people would have all of the friends. You would think that, that from their constantly being in the limelight, constantly being uh, in, in, in social engagements and always running around the world and showing up in all of these different venues, you'd think that they, were, that they had plenty of friends. But the truth is, is that rich people, now distinguish again, 
I'm not talking about wealthy people. I know plenty of wealthy people that that like out here in the Dakotas. There, I've I've served in a church where there's been millionaires that that you would have never have known because they they're down to earth servants of the Lord, just like you and me. And and you you would never know the the, the amount of wealth that they have because they don't they don't live to indulge themselves on their wealth. That they are literally a blessing to their community, a blessing to their church, a blessing to to the the fellow neighbors, the farmers that would be around them. That they don't they don't just indulge themselves. So they're wealthy without question, but not rich. It's kind of important to see that distinction. And so James is pointing out that distinction because he said the miseries, the reason why a lot of rich people, you see all these movie actors and all these people running around and they're just miserable. They're divorcing. They've been married five times. They're just constantly, uh, they're just constantly miserable, committing suicide, doing all kinds of things because they that there's just no consolation to their soul at all, and they're miserable because they're alone. And they're alone is because they're, they're so afraid that other people are going to get a piece of what they've got. They're so afraid of losing the ground of, of fame or losing, the, 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 losing their, their, their status within their sphere of society that they push everything away and, and they just drive toward money, 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 money. For power, 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 power. And they end up alone. And so the misery of, of being rich is, is in, in having nothing. It was said, well, uh, in, in something that I've, somewhere I heard it anyway, is that, that rich people are, are actually poor because all they have is money. They, they don't have family. They don't have a familial connection. They don't have friends. They don't, they don't have anything. All they have are cars, boats, uh, beachfront venues, houses all over the world. They've got all of this junk that just is being said, uh, verse number two, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, your cor- their corrosion is evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've treasure, you've laid up treasure in the last days. Eat your flesh like fire. <laughs> That's so vibrant a, a statement that is being made, but it's true. And that all of these possessions that you have are now just draining your your wealth, uh, because in your in your being rich, you you had to have these houses, these condos, these cars, these planes, these these things. But those things break. Those things over time they fall apart. Those things uh, corrode. Those things do not last. And so with the multitude of things, you have the multitude of upkeep that you have to do. And you, you're constantly pouring out that wealth and dumping your wealth into the things that made you rich. 
And, and you have to steal. You have to kill. You have to defraud. You have to go to war. You, you, you have to do those things that were found in, in James chapter number four in order to make more wealth to cover the loss of wealth from the riches that you've acquired. And, it, and it's just rotting you. It's, it's literally destroying you. Now, the next point we find in verse number three, he said, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Remember Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, do not lay up for your treasure yourself treasure here on earth where moth and rust can corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven. Now, <clears throat> what's the difference? Well, the treasure that you lay up in heaven are the lives of those, I personally believe, this, by the way, this is Book of Jason here. Uh, you take it, toss it out if this isn't what you believe, but I personally believe this because I don't believe that, that your money on this earth is going with you. Nothing of the material wealth of this world is, is of any consequence to the God who created it, okay? It, it, it doesn't need it, and it doesn't matter to him. But you matter to him. You are the gold. You are the silver. You are the precious stones. You are, are everything to God as being created in his image after his likeness. And his love being applied to you in love, you matter more than all of the cattle of, of, of the land. You matter more than, than all of the gold that could possibly be gleaned from the world because you are his precious treasure. And so when Jesus tells us as his disciples to lay up treasure in heaven, I believe that Jesus is telling us to look at other people the same way that God looks at us and see them as the treasure of God's heart. And so that we would serve our Lord and gleaning up treasure to be able to give to him. Because remember, the wealth that we acquire is, is acquired for the purpose of serving God and his kingdom. And so as he blesses us with material things, with material wealth, then we are to utilize those things in the service of our king to, to extend our influence and to extend our reach with the gospel to the world. And so the treasure that we would lay up in heaven would be the lives of those whom we have impacted with the gospel in so much that they have come to faith in Christ. And so that we may not know the multitude of the treasure that we truly possess in heaven because of the amount of people that we might impact through our lives of sharing the gospel, maybe even one time, and then a year later, uh, through another ministry, that they have come to faith in Christ. But whereas we have forgotten, we, we even shared the gospel with this person to even begin their journey of walking towards discovering the Lord, 
God didn't forget, and they will be a part of the treasure that we have in heaven, which is why it's so important for us through our daily lives to be sharing the gospel with those that come into our, our life every day is because we don't have any idea that, that the time that we share the love of God and gospel with that person that they might get saved right then and there. Or uh, five years from now, they might get saved, but the reality of the extent of love that we pour out to them and sharing the gospel with them in that one occasion that we had the opportunity to do, that when they did come to Christ, that there would be that treasure, that life that would be stored up into heaven awaiting for us when we got there, the treasure of fellowship. And, and believe me, it's like yesterday evening, I had two, two folks at the church that come by the house and, and I reckon their plan was, you know, we'll just drop by a few minutes, say hi, and then we'll be out of there. And then two hours later, <laughs> well, mainly because we held them captive maybe, but, <laughs> but two hours later, because of the treasure of the fellowship, the treasure of the gospel that could be shared and the questions that could be asked and answered, such treasure. So guys, understand that, that when he said, you have laid up treasure in the last days, this is different from that blessing of the treasure that's laid up in heaven because the point that he's making here is you've built up this, this grand retirement that treasure for their last days. You built up this grand retirement and you 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 did everything that you could do in order to have all of this wealth so that you could finish off the last of your life well. But the problem is, is that you've dumped all of that wealth into all of these things that will be moth-eaten and rotted and that, that the corrosion has devoured. And so you're just constantly dumping your wealth into the riches of your desire Thinking that you'll have for the last days is just going to fall apart on you. Then James snaps to the people that have been defrauded in trying to cause those who are rich to pay attention to the error of their ways. It's kind of like the same conversation here from verses 4 to 6. It's like that same conversation that Jesus had with uh Who's that little fellow? Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And, you know, the, the concept is this man being a tax collector was defrauding people by, by seeking four times the amount of tax that would be required by Rome so that he could build his own storehouse of wealth and, and that the tax that Zacchaeus would pay would be off the backs of the taxes he would take from all of the people that he was in charge of in the community. And so he defrauded so many people and built such a base of wealth and riches, and yet this Jesus was such a fascinating person to him that he was so willing to climb up into that tree in order to be able to see this, this rabbi, this Jesus, and that Jesus would stop right under that tree, look up and say, hey, get, get some food ready. We're going to your house. <laughs> We're going to get your house. And so Zacchaeus, this, this rich man with the abundance 
of his wealth being indulged upon him being indulgent with it upon his own desire meets Jesus. And the conversion story of Zacchaeus is that he makes this pledge before the Lord that he says, for all that I have defrauded, I will return or restore fourfold four times the amount that I defrauded them, which tells you that Zacchaeus kept such immaculate books of every transaction that he had done that he knows exactly who he's extorted money from and that he is willing to go back and four times the extorted amount he will repay. Well, ultimately, you're going to find a man that has gone from wealthy to poor in a matter of weeks because in the restoration of four times the amount of the what was originally defrauded, he may well end up with very little. But he discovered wealth more so than riches. And, and being saved, being a child of God, and being connected to Christ is, is, makes a person more wealthy than they could ever ever possibly imagine and the, the the just the joy of of being saved of being in jesus that's that's true wealth that's a wealthy man indeed so we see that that people seem to be poor on this earth which the scripture again in in the beatitudes say blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs they shall inherit the kingdom of god you know that just because a person is poor in in earthly possession doesn't mean that they're not wealthy people they've got friends they've got they've got familial connection they've got christ they may never have a lot of possessions but they've got relationships, and they're wealthy indeed. Well, these poor guys here, he says, uh, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept you kept back fraud by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Well, this statement, the Lord of hosts, uh, it in Hebrew means the, the Lord of the armies okay so that word host is recognized as as the armies of heaven and so it's it's important to understand because it sounds kind of friendly the lord of hosts until you actually study that word out discover that uh, the same jesus that is seen in revelation chapter number 19 that's coming back with a white horse with an entire army uh, behind him that is the lord and that is the host that army so you have come under the sight of of the the lord of god's army okay he is paying attention to the cries of those servants who have been defrauded now this is important because it comes into connection to things like like hebrews chapter number 10 it comes into the connections like over in deuteronomy where where god the lord god says that he's the one that will revenge, right? He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So this is the point for children of God is that if we're being defrauded by our the places that we work or we're being defrauded by those who, who called us friend that claim to be our friend but are actually using us for the purpose of, 
of gain, or, or we find ourselves in a position where we're being defrauded for whatever reason, that, that we, we commit it to the Lord, that we, we seek a reconciliation or, or a restitution that, that would exist, but we trust that the Lord would, would take care of us because if we try to revenge, if we go to fights and wars, then we're just living up to a James 4 scenario because it's, it's about the lust of our heart. That we commit these these crimes that may even be done against us, that we commit them unto the Lord and trust in the power of His might to deliver us from this day, this this present evil. That then the Lord is the one who who will take vengeance on our behalf, which we find also in Revelation chapter number five, when you see, or rather chapter number six, uh, when you see in the fifth seal from verses uh, 9 to 11 where, where he is dealing with the martyred saints and they say when will you avenge our blood when will when will you you come to our aid and and god instructs the angels he says just put on your white robe and just just relax for a little while until all of your brethren get up here and then watch what i do so God has a plan of re- revenging us. God has a plan of vengeance against wickedness, of vengeance against this, this world and against the rebellious who fight against him. God's got a plan for that. And he's going to execute that plan in his perfect time. But until then, he's great with patience, even, even though the lives of his children in this earthly life have to go through a period of suffering, God is still patient because he's not willing that even the worst of man would die. He's not willing that we would, would perish, but that we would come to repentance. And so he's, he's long-suffering to the lost and giving them every opportunity to be able to be saved. And though they may kill his children who are trying to share the love of God with them, though they may mock them, though they may defraud them like we see in James 5, though though we may be treated so despitefully and despicably and end up having to, to suffer under the heavy hand of a wicked world until we are snuffed out of this world, well, then we land right into the arms of gods. That's not exactly a bad thing, even though it feels painful in the moment. But that the time of vengeance will come and it will be so swift and it will be so perfect and it will be so powerful that no man could stand in that time. And so it's best to commit the vengeance that we might feel, the vengeance we might want to exact. It's best to commit it to the Lord for his vengeance is perfect and his way is true. It says... The wages of the laborers who mowed your field, mowed your fields, mowed your fields is the same as the cries of the harvesters. So the laborers are the are the harvesters. The fields to be mowed are the fields harvested, and their cries, because of the wages that have been lifted up from the defrauding under the Lord, He's paid attention to them. He says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence and have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered righteous persons. And the righteous aren't going to fight against you because we've been commanded by the Lord not to fight against them. <clears throat> but then comes the the call for the believers. Now, 
the first six verses. Now, oddly enough, by the way, the, the dealing with the rich ends at the number six. <clears throat> the number six in Hebrew is the number of man, and it, it's a number that represents being incomplete, not, not being full. It represents the failure of being able to complete is the number six. And so you, you'll see that in the rich that James is dealing with, that, that he ends in the number of man because it, it's you're never going to be complete with money, with wealth. That doesn't complete you. Being rich doesn't make you whole. It actually empties you and makes you more wretched, more blind, and more wicked than anything else. But then the verse that, that begins with those that were the laborers, with those that were crying out from being defrauded in the fields harvesting, begins with the number seven. And the number seven recognizes the completeness of God. The number seven is, is recognizing perfection. And so, uh, in case you've never heard me talk about this before, and, and we'll kick up with verse number seven tomorrow here at the corner, but understand that when you come into the world, I'm going to, first of all, this is my ADHD kicking in. I've got nine thoughts that just crossed over each other and I was trying to get through them. Sometimes you just got to stop for a second. I'm going to work through three numbers that are recognized in Hebrew that you'll be able to see throughout the whole of scripture in the, in the reality of their truth. The number six, the number of man. The number seven, the number of God. The number eight, the number of new beginning. So let me explain it. When you come into the world, you come into corruption as a corrupt being. You come in uh, one short of the big time. <laughs> Say it as, as Clouseau would in, in the Pink Panther. You're one short of the big time. So you enter in the world, you're a number six. You, you are you are not complete. You, there's, there's something you're missing. And so throughout your life before coming to Christ, you, you are searching for that void that you're trying to fill. You're searching for that, that, that which you know that you're missing. For God has put on the heart of everyone a desire for him as you're made in his image and his likeness. But that desire being corrupted, you're searching. You know you need something to fulfill your life, but but you're you're chasing after all of the desires of the flesh because it's all you know until someone comes to you and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, brings the word of God into your life and reveals the truth of what you're missing. And so as you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that, that Jesus is the son of God, has come as the lamb of God to die for you in your place and to take your sin upon himself on that cross to bury it in the ground as he was buried in the ground, but then to rise above it through the blood of the covenant that was shed to cover you in God's mercy. And you surrender to, to the gospel. You surrender to that reality, understanding that all along, whatever indulgences that you've done were, were for this moment. And so you, you, you turn to Christ, you receive the word of God into your heart, and you cry out in repentance, and you, you get saved. You have just been connected to, to the number seven. You have been made 
complete because the Holy Spirit has come into you and sealed you unto the day of redemption. The relationship has been restored with God through Jesus Christ, your mediator, and you are now one with God, never more to be separated from him. And so you have been made complete in your your relationship with God. But that's not where it ends because in in becoming complete and becoming literally fulfilled in, in every way that you live the rest of your life as a servant of God, gleaning in the fields of his harvest, seeking for lost souls just like you were to come to a completion and be saved that when you die, rather by persecution and they eliminate you, or rather by old age, or rather by God's God's time that he has for you uh, to leave, whatever it will be, then you've reached the number eight. The number eight is a new beginning. You've left these old things behind and all things now will become new, just like revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter number five. The old things pass away, all things become new. The world and the mortality and the corruption is all left behind and a brand new beginning in immortality and in corruption there in the throne room of God. A brand new beginning starts. Welcome to Hebrew. <laughs> so right now you could be a six. You need to be a seven. Receive Jesus Christ. And then you become a seven. And that sets you for the purpose of the number eight in the new beginning. So just wanted to share that little nugget with you to, to rattle around as we close in prayer and ask for God's blessing upon the rest of this day. Father, we do thank you for James. We thank you, Lord, for the distinction between those who are wealthy and those who pine after riches and are rich. We ask, Father, that you will bless these numbers to our soul, that we consider these things as being a six, a seven, and the hope that we have in the future of a new beginning in eight. And we'll thank you for everything that you have done in us, with us, and through us this day. Bless us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. And we shall catch you tomorrow for the finale rally of James chapter number five, the whole book of James. And then we'll talk about where we go from there. God bless. <music>